welcome to our podcast series in which we talk about issues affecting the governing environment in the everyday lives of local elected officials. We're coming to you from our studio here at the UNC School of Government in Chapel Hill. I'm Patrice Rossler, your host, manager of elected official programming here with the school's Center for Public Leadership and Governance. Today, we're talking about an issue that's in the news a lot these days as we're coming out of the COVID years, and that's employee recruitment and retention. Our somewhat unique twist on the topic is the setting, which for us today is the local public health agencies rather than the private sector. And the implications can be a bit startling in view of the way the public health agencies affect the everyday lives of our citizens. Our guest today is Lisa Macon Harrison, She's the local public health director for the Granville Vance Local Public Health Department. Lisa also co-chairs the NC Institute of Medicine's task force on the future of local public health. Lisa, welcome, and thank you for being with me today. Thank you for having me. This is one of my favorite topics. Before we start talking about the task force, let's orient our listeners to the two counties that you're representing, uh, Granville and Vance. Can you tell us roughly where they are in relation to the Triangle area and just a little bit about their uh, culture, the conditions in those counties? Yes, I'm glad to. So our public health department is a two-county district health department, and we sit just north of Raleigh-Durham and Chapel Hill. The top of our counties hit Virginia, and the bottom of our counties hit Durham, Franklin, and Wake counties. So we're long and skinny counties up there beside each other. The Vance County has approximately 45,000 population, Granville County a little over 60,000. So together we serve approximately 105,000 population between the two counties. Great. Thank you for that level set. Can you briefly describe the services that your agency provides? What does uh, local public health department do? Yeah. So across North Carolina, local health departments from Manio to Murphy do the 10 essential services of public health and the foundational capabilities, which we'll talk about when we get into the public health workforce a bit. But in general, in rural areas of North Carolina, there's a little broader spectrum of primary care, integrated care, and services for the uninsured as a safety net provider than some of our metropolitan counties might have, since they're more providers for care in metropolitan counties. Um, So in our rural two-county district, we have um, the workforce that includes our nursing team, um, our our medicine, social work, care managers. We have behavioral health specialists because we do offer full-scale primary care plus um, behavioral health and medication-assisted treatment for opioid use disorder. We have, of course, environmental health, nutrition, Um, We have an information technology specialist. We have a whole team of health promotion and wellness folks made up of health educators and researchers. We have two leads for labs that are located in our two health department locations. And then we also have connections to UNC, Duke, and other areas as we are a rural academic health department and love to connect to the resources of the university here at UNC Chapel Hill. So very much a clinic-based model of many of your services. More so in rural areas, you see that. There are about 50% of our health departments in North Carolina that still offer full-scale clinic services and primary care as a safety net for those areas. That's certainly been my experience as I was growing up 
in eastern North Carolina, the public health department was where we went to get our immunizations. All of those uh, health care needs were met by our local public health department down in Craven County. That's been a thousand years ago, but that's still my mental model of a public health agency. And I have this, a similar memory in the western part of the state. Do you so, really? Yes. Where were you from out west? I, I grew up in Cullowee, North Carolina. Oh, wow. So the Jackson County Health Department <laughs> yes. was my home health department for all things sports related, immunization related, and, and where a lot of community members went for a number of different services. Nice. Nice. So it is a very much a center for uh, public health services, for health related services to the citizens. Yes. We're also notably the chief health strategists and policy changers, too. So I don't want to shortchange in the discussion about our importance for those clinical services, those policy, environmental and systems changes public health is about to. If the clinic services are predominantly in uh, 50 percent of the counties, they're more, I don't want to say isolated, but rural where you don't maybe you don't have major medical markets the way you would in the urban centers. Uh, what does an urban center health department look like? Is that more related to policy and research and analysis? What do they do? So they still offer the basic services of maternal and child health, which we value highly in, in all local health departments, and those services continue. A lot of people's experience in the last few years is certainly those immunization nurses with COVID-19 vaccines. Um, more recently, we're back into flu season and giving flu shots. And so a lot of people do have connection to some clinical services in the urban areas. And also, I think in urban areas, we have the opportunity to work more on public health 3.0, which are those social determinants of health, those things that make a person healthy that might not be in a clinic service line, but um, are also related to transportation, housing, child care opportunities, jobs, lots of things that determine the public's health. Of course, we consider the entire population our patient and do yes. those community health assessments and then and those policy and programmatic changes where the community tells us what they want us to work on. That's the beauty of public health everywhere. I want to touch just a moment on the community health assessments um, because that's a really important function for the local public health department. And it looks like, as I understand it, they look at the community's health. What are the environmental factors maybe that affect the, a lot of people in the community? And those are done now every four years. Is that correct? Sometimes three years. Um, local hospitals who are not-for-profit hospitals are required by the IRS to do those every three years in partnership with local public health. So many of us got on those hospital schedules to be helpful partners there. Yes. Um, but three or four years are, are um, the usual schedule, sure. Okay. And one other thing I want to touch on is that the health directors, I believe, are still required to participate in developing a medical care plan for the jails. Yes, right. indeed. Yes. Lots of discussion about that lately post-COVID post COVID outbreak. We're, we are um, certainly not all the way post-COVID yet, but hopefully we are out of the woods with most of those jail-centered outbreaks, which we responded to a lot in the last two years. Yeah. And at least we do have treatment and prevention now, which we didn't two years ago. Yes. Thank you, Science. So let's talk a minute about the task force that you co-chair. This is a task force uh, chaired by Dr. Leah Devlin. And I remember Dr. Devlin was the state health director a number of years back. 
What led the Institute of Medicine to create this task force? It was a number of factors. I was lucky enough to be involved with the National Association of County and City Health Officials for the last few years, serving on their board and uh, a number of meetings that we go to. Of course, those back of the envelope conversations start happening in hallways and um, out after dinner. And networking so is important. That networking is is really yes. important. So one of my colleagues, uh, the Buncombe County Health Director at West, Stacy Saunders, and I sort of had this dream a number of years ago at an HO meeting where we thought, gosh. There's so many needs we have for our glorious public health workforce, that favorite topic of mine. What can we do to improve and advance um, and elevate the practice of public health? What can we do for and with our workforce across North Carolina to continue sort of that vision of Bill Friday to make sure that across our state from the east to the west and back again, we have the same opportunities to train and and to connect and to make great our communities. In so many ways, we were inspired over the years by the um, conversations that we had been exposed to at the North Carolina Institute of Medicine, planning for the future in the Healthy North Carolina 2020 conversations and next the Healthy North Carolina 2030 conversations. <laughs> it's kind of sad those. I've been able to yes. tell you uh, about two <laughs> decades worth of planning prior right. to those. Uh, <laughs> but I just uh, noticed, and, and so does Stacy, the ability of that Institute of Medicine group to convene partners outside of public health who can also influence public health. And sometimes that is when we're, our, our best work happens is when we get those partners who can say, yes, we, we really do want to support the work of public health. And the business community provides another um, co-chair for that task force. And also the philanthropic organizations that do a great deal to support public health in North Carolina. The co-chairs include, as you mentioned, Dr. Leah Devlin, um, Dr. John Lumpkin, who is the president of the Blue Cross Blue Shield Foundation of North Carolina, and Vicki Lee Parker High, who's the executive director of the North Carolina Business Council. And so during the course of the, the six-month conversations, they've been involved, helped um, understand the work of local public health departments and have really been insightful on some of their recommendations to public health to elevate our practice. Certainly having the private sector involved in the task force would really enrich the learning as well as the output, the recommendations, because as you say, the business community is so dependent on the public health. Yeah, everybody benefits from a healthy workforce. Right. Yes. So the, the North Carolina Institute of Medicine's task force on the future of local public health is tasked with developing that vision for the future of local public health. So even though we involve state public health partners and that they have been immensely helpful and really important, even beyond our COVID response all the time, they, they help provide technical assistance and consultation. They are also really supportive of their local health departments. And that's important, too. And I have to say, I think the elected officials, which is the audience, primary audience for this podcast, are certainly influencers in their communities. And I also see them as connectors. Uh, that's another group that if they say, let's have a meeting, people will come. Right. And that makes a big difference when they use their voices for that kind of influence. Well, in the combination of the Kate B. Reynolds Charitable Trust with the Department of Health and Human Services and the Division of Public Health financially support this Institute of Medicine task force. 
Um, and it came out of the vision of, of a Kate B. Reynolds grant that we, we wrote and are still thankful that we are working on to make sure the safety net organizations of public health survive and thrive through Medicaid transformation. That's a whole nother issue for a, a another conversation. There, another conversation, yes. The report recommends actions related to sustaining and supporting the current public health workforce, as well as creating the future public health workforce. Can you give us a sense of the variety of employment fields that public health arena represents? Yes, absolutely. Well, and I mentioned when I was describing my own local health department, most health departments in North Carolina are nursing led, whether they provide those clinical services or um, do much more around the social determinants. Either way, they have a majority of, of nurses in a local health department, as one would imagine. Environmental health is one of our mandated services in public health. So we have environmental health specialists that make up a good deal of the workforce that county commissioners especially know about well. So if I can, can uh, ask you to clarify for those of our listeners who might not understand what environmental health entails, mm. Can you say a little bit about what environmental health specialists do? Yes, absolutely. Well, and for a long history in in the United States, environmental health has been based on the notion that we need to keep our drinking water and our wastewater far and apart from each other and make sure that people's health is monitored, you know, by ensuring that we have septic systems, wells, and um, permits for building that are all compliant with the regulations in the public health law in North Carolina. And that is a mandated service that has been on the books for a good hundred years now or more. We also, in environmental health, it's not just the water and, and general sanitation efforts, but also we do the um, restaurant, restaurant um, inspections. inspections and mm-hmm. um, we inspect also hospital cafeterias and child care centers. We inspect tattoo parlors to make sure that there's no exchange of diseases and communicable diseases in particular that could um, harm people that way. So we've got a number of different types of work that are regulatory in nature, that follow public health law, that our environmental health specialists are well-trained um, to either provide permits for or to review and ensure safety in restaurants and hotels and very um, special field <laughs> right and right. very visible in mm-hmm. the communities mm-hmm. so if you look at the uh, current workforce, what kind of challenges do the employees face, Lisa, when you think about how to sustain and support your current workforce? What are their needs? What do you, as the employer, uh, want to be able to do for them? Well, our our task force made a number of recommendations and strategies to honor the current workforce and to help retain them. And there are strategies that include developing statewide accountability for the public health workforce, collecting data about them and the type of work that they do, like we're just talking about. For years, there weren't any enumeration studies that told us how many people are in the field of public health professionally doing this work in the state and in the nation, early 90s. Early 90s, Christine Gebby had a, a number of reports that estimated the public health workforce in, in the nation at around a half a million people. And over time, after the recession of 2008, that number dwindled. But we, we need to continue to collect information 
about our workforce, about the aging of our workforce, because we're um, certainly in a time where our workforce is a little older and closer to retirement. And that's not unique to public health. I think that's a phenomenon we're experiencing everywhere. But we've got to make sure you know, we um, value and um, make sure that we are attending to the needs, professional development needs, training needs, and, and general retention when it comes to salary needs of our public health workforce to keep up with 2022 standards and beyond. And right. that's been a real challenge for government to keep up with the more modern approaches to job descriptions, for example, as technology takes off. Um, we need to make sure that we're tending to the data management needs and to the descriptions for communications with social media. You know, we saw during COVID response that we had a whole series of misinformation that was hard for us to get in there and um, counter if if we don't have a communication specialists on our team to do that. So, Absolutely. So these are things that COVID has really highlighted for us, some some dire need to, to get in there and, and modernize some of the foundational capabilities and the workforce that tends to those things that are a little less traditional in nature. So let's talk a minute about the effect of COVID on the public health workforce. Mm. Yes. Um, what can you tell us about that, Lisa? Oh. Because I think from where I sat, where I sit now, it seems to me like the public health workforce was at the front end of a whole lot of animosity and venom. But I could be wrong about that. So tell me what it looked like from your standpoint. What did COVID mean to the public health workforce? Oh, you were certainly not wrong about that. And one of the strategies in the Institute of Medicine's task force on the future of public health is to address threats and harassment and to work with you all here at the School of Government and the North Carolina Institute for Public Health, North Carolina Public Health Association and the North Carolina Association of Local Health Workers and Directors together to address threats and harassment of all members of the local public health workforce. And we have to raise the awareness of laws that address threats and harassments and develop support tools. You know, the the mental health of everyone um, after this period of isolation is something we should be concerned about. We've talked about behavioral health interventions in schools, but we've also talked a lot recently, both at national levels and local levels, how the need to support our local public health workforce after the trauma of COVID-19 response and the amazing work that people put forth and sort of spent a lot of energy, time, and stress to address, it's definitely real. So CDC and the Public Health Wins out of De Beaumont Foundation did a survey of our public health workforce, and more than 40% claimed to have post-traumatic stress disorder and also had you know, some some serious concerns about their well-being. And we, as a result, have serious concerns about the well-being of our public health workforce and need to provide the amount of support that they need, not just in terms of addressing the mental health and, and PTSD pieces, but also to support them with more staffing. So in a lot of cases, what we had was an understaffed local health department from the beginning of COVID who then were asked to address case investigation and contact tracing and vaccination events. And 
In my health department alone, we have a dozen nurses who delivered more than 50,000 vaccines, usually over holidays, right? Because right. most of those right. were released, right? Right before Christmas or, or right before Easter, we tended to get, you know, every 21 days um, in, in the case of the Pfizer vaccine and, and its delivery, every time it came out, it was a cold, wintry, blustery holiday. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so our nurses were out there with our school nurses and our partners in emergency management and our hospitals um, who just all came together in local community that that is wonderfully validating that those partners are, are there for us when we need them. But but we also need more than 12 nurses across two counties and 100,000 population right. to give those right. vaccines, to manage those vaccines, to review all of the provider guidelines every day and, and keep up with the CDC changes in the state recommendations. It was a lot of hard, heavy lifting. And so they've done a phenomenal job. Um, so and for an agency that was uh, perhaps understaffed in the beginning, and then working nonstop the way they had to, that's part of what led to the trauma, the stress, the anxiety, all of those things that you talk about with the condition of their mental condition now. And um, the notion that you wanted to prevent death and disease, right? right? I mean, that's exactly. what attracts us to this work. That's whether you're in a hospital, a private practice, or a health department, you want to keep your neighbors safe. You want to keep your family members safe. You want to keep your children safe. And, and there's a lot of responsibility in that. So when we're in a pandemic, that, that feels really extra hard because you care a whole lot. Well, certainly we hope we will not have a, a pandemic to repeat anytime soon, but the after effects can be lasting. Yes. Um, so if you think about uh, your future public health task force, Lisa, what would that look like? Do you see more clinicians coming into the public health field? Will that expand with uh, maybe Medicaid transformation or is that going to go away to the private sector and so what will your future workforce depend on in terms of training, education, skill set? Yeah, that's a great question. And one, the uh, Institute of Medicine Task Force has been asking, what, what is the future? What does it look like? What do we want it to look like? I think it's both and. You know, we certainly learned through COVID that communicable disease is one of those mandated services of public health in North Carolina law is so critical. And having a medical staff, having those who are able to keep up with the changing guidelines coming from national and state levels is absolutely critical to doing this work well, to staying on top of, of vaccines and delivery of treatments. And you know, I think before COVID, there was a lot of talk about public health 3.0 and moving out of clinical services in, in health departments. I remember I think, hearing those yeah, conversations. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's, there's room for both because we need to be good at those mandated services that, that certainly include communicable disease, vital records, environmental health. That is the longstanding tradition of the work we do. And that's not going to change in my view. I, I think we have to just keep getting better and modernizing our technology, our data management around that, and being able to, you know, retain the workforce that has the skills and abilities to, to respond well to a pandemic, and also to, to provide a pipeline and train new folks coming in as the work of some of our regional hubs for workforce development in North Carolina. It's really exciting mm -hmm. work that is, um, one of the strategies the Institute of Medicine's task force mentions as a highlight of things that are working well and that we need to do more of. But these regional hubs have leaders 
that that serve local health departments and local health directors um, across the state. There are about 10 regions, each having approximately 10 counties in them. And we are designing really forward thinking ways to provide training, retention, recruitment, human resource policies, making sure that we can hire more quickly in our government system, making sure that we can update those job descriptions and work with the Office of State Human Resources to streamline how how quickly those applications are reviewed to ensure that people with the right skills and experience are coming into the jobs and making sure that we're really tending to health equity and the diversification of our workforce. We need to have those connections with community that are so vital. And health departments have a really good tradition of connecting with community and having longstanding trusted partnerships. And we need to continue to improve that. We need to continue to improve how our workforce um, reflects community and connects to community. It's very important that that workforce reflect the culture and racial mix of the of the people that they're serving. Uh, that's what helps build trust. Yes. Uh, if you look like me, I know that I can trust you at least on some level. Mm-hmm. And that's important when you have people that are working towards something as personal as your public health, your health that you have somebody out there that people trust, um, which leads me to something I wanted to ask you about, because in one of the chapters of the report, they talked about communicating with the public and the need to be seen as trustworthy in the community. I was really stunned when I read this part of the narrative, Lisa, that talked about a Robert Wood Johnson national survey that indicated almost 25 percent of people nationally think the information provided by their local health department about the health of the people in their communities is unreliable. Mm. So tell me about that survey. Was that done? What What is that reflecting? Is that reflecting people's distrust of the health information they were receiving during COVID? Or is what was this survey pre-COVID? What what can you say about that trust factor of public health? Oh, definitely. That survey was reflective of data collected at toward this last year okay. um, of, of COVID response. And I think, you know, it depends on the connectivity of the individuals working in a local health department with their community. There's a, a level of variability there, of course with the trust factor over time when people build those relationships with community members and county commissioners and and can be an established um, sort of politically neutral source of data and information that people go to. You know, you have to be reliable. You have to make sure that those data are updated on websites and in social media posts regularly. And a lot of that kind of information sharing is new. So when we talk about those foundational capabilities of public health and getting the right communication specialist into a health department, building that trust is what we're talking about. But in in my estimation, that survey reflects some of the political polarization that we saw during the COVID-19 response. We want to make sure that no matter what political affiliation or, or what member of our community believes what things they do about vaccines or disease or medicine, that, that they feel some connection to the fact that we are trying to serve and help and connect them to treatment and life-saving mechanisms. And and we all saw that not everybody trusted or believed that, right? So 
I think the problem is one of my colleagues says we went from hero to zero really fast over the two year period at the beginning before vaccines were available. I think your local health department was sending out information that that most people were trying to absorb and understand. And we were trusted in that first wave of of vaccine release where that was just an exciting time where people understood that we were there to help save lives and prevent disease. That's what we do. And over time, then, I guess the recommendations for mask wearing and distancing became pretty tiresome for folks. And so, so, you know, over time, you just saw more of a questioning and less of a trust when it comes to wearing masks in schools, for example, lots of parental dissent on that. So that's where we saw a lot of what this Robert Wood Johnson Foundation data collection effort, I think, is getting at is that we, we just really need to make sure that people understand we are here to fight disease, promote health and make recommendations that keep people as healthy as possible. Well, I've often thought that it's really hard to trust somebody you don't know. Yes. And um, public health as an entity in the communities is very visible and I think keeps really close tie to that local system of what I consider community connectors, people who might not be in elected office, but they are certainly persuasive. People go to them for advice. They look to them for recommendations. They're just people in the community that you uh, might know from church or you might know from some civic or nonprofit organization, and they're people who just make things happen, and people trust them. So uh, public health is one of those agencies, and I want to thank you for your conversation today, Lisa. Oh, thank you. um, And I just really appreciate the opportunity to talk about the public health workforce. I do have to just add that those public health nurses are are some pretty incredible and incredibly skilled people who have saved countless lives in these last few years. And it has been my honor and, and privilege to serve beside and witness what I've seen happen in local health departments across the state. We're lucky in North Carolina, we have people doing this good work. Thank you so much, Lisa. Is there anything that you would like to say to our listeners before we sign off? Just that I appreciate so much that um, from Manio to Murphy, as I said early on, we have a local health department serving each and every county and we should all be grateful. Thank you, Lisa. I also want to thank our incredible studio producer, Paul Bonner. If you like this podcast, like and subscribe to it. And if you have ideas for additional topics, you can reach me at prossler at sog.unc.edu. That's P-R-O-E-S-L-E-R at sog.unc.edu.